0: Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning you might take from us all distractions and enable us to hear your word. We pray, Father, that your powerful word might do its work in us and that we might be drawn to love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've only had to redeem something once. Quite a few years ago now, a guest in our home stole our family camera uh, and it had on it our uh, daughter's first day at school photos. Just before he left to return home overseas, we noticed that the camera was gone. Uh, When confronted, and that wasn't a pleasant experience, let me tell you, uh, he told us what he'd done. He'd taken it to the pawn shop down King Street. It might still be there, he said. We went to the shop, but the owner had paid $50 for the camera, and so if we wanted to get it back, the police told us we would have to redeem it. We would have to pay the price, and then we'd have to get an expert to help recover the photos. It would cost us to recover what was always ours. Apart from moments like that, the idea of redemption is a strange thing in our culture, but it lies near the heart of the Christian message. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. As Paul wrote to the Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We sing of being redeemed and it's right that we should. We rejoice in the magnificent truth that we were bought with a price. And it's one of the most wonderful things you could ever consider, isn't it, ever sing about. That we have a redeemer. That we have been bought back. And there are two great truths about redemption that make it so wonderful. Freedom. And it is costly. Freedom for the one redeemed costly for the one doing the redeeming. You and I were redeemed from everything that bound us, every demand that could be made of us, all that brought guilt and shame and fear. The judgment we deserve has been exhausted. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we were redeemed, we were brought back, we were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And these two things, the freedom of redemption and its cost, are imaged for us long before in that part of the Bible we arrive at this morning, the final chapter of the book of Ruth. When we left Ruth uh, two weeks ago, Ruth had just been out at night to the thrashing floor beside the barley field. She enacted a daring plan thought up by her mother-in-law, but which she had modified at the last minute. In the middle of the night, when Boaz woke with a start and found Ruth lying at his feet, before he could say anything more than, Who are you? Ruth had said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What an astonishing thing for a woman to say to a man. For this woman, a young Moabite servant, to say to this man, a considerably older man of standing in the village, the owner of this part of the barley field, she was asking him to take her under his care, to be her redeemer. Now, we'd already learned that he was one of those in line to redeem the land that belonged to Elimelech, her father-in-law, that presumably had passed on to Marlon, her husband, after Elimelech's death, and then back to Naomi after Marlon's death. He was one of those charged with ensuring that Elimelech's land was not lost to Elimelech's family. But alone in the dark that night, Ruth was asking Boaz to do more. You're a redeemer. Well, go on then, redeem. Not just the land, but me. I don't know how much Ruth knew about the practice of redemption uh, and the redeeming of land in Israel. Perhaps Naomi had explained it all. Or maybe she just told her enough to encourage her to make the move, to push the boundaries and to ask for more. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We do know that the idea appealed to Boaz. I think there's enough in the story for us to know that Boaz was interested from the start. But there was a catch, you might remember. There was someone else, someone whose right to redeem the land and rescue the family of Naomi superseded that of Boaz. Boaz. And in his scrupulous integrity that night, still overcome by Ruth's covenant faithfulness, that she should come to him for protection and not one of the young bucks on the threshing floor, Boaz told her everything. And as we left the story last time, Ruth had returned home laden with food and she was left to await the outcome between Boaz and the other unnamed redeemer, Mr. So-and-so. Who would come later in the day to take the land and take her? Well, we've already been told that Boaz saw the whole thing as a matter of urgency, so let's hear what happened next in Ruth chapter 4. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And then he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know For there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Well, there it is. It's over. The redeemer will exercise his right, and Boaz will be left out in the cold. It was too good a deal to let go. He could rescue the family and enlarge his property portfolio at the same time. Since Naomi was unlikely to have children, he can be the family hero without any risk. The inheritance he would hand on in the future would be larger than the one he'd received. It's a win win win. Of course, he will redeem it. For Boaz, it's just time to pack up and go home. It's a nice dream while it lasted. But there is no indication that Boaz is in the slightest bit phased. He's cleverer than he looks, and he knows more than the other Redeemer knows. And it appears he's been working to a plan he's had all along. Drip feed the information. Make the bargain look irresistible. And then drop in the complication. The little matter of the Moabite woman. The widow of Marlon, still of childbearing age. The guarantee that the land wouldn't stay in his possession forever. Then Boaz said... The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, And this was the matter of a testing in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. See, this this new piece of information changes the picture completely for the unnamed Redeemer. He would have to have spent some of his inheritance to buy the land. He would have to support Naomi and Ruth, as well as his own family, and then on top of that, any children that Ruth might have as his wife. And in the end it would be Ruth's child who would be brought up in Marlon's name and not his own who would inherit the land. So his own children will end up with a reduced inheritance in the end. His assets will not have grown, they would have shrunk. If it had just been Naomi then this would not have been much of a threat. It would have been quite lucrative really. But not if the deal involves Ruth. Not if he must redeem Ruth too. To act as a redeemer under those circumstances would be costly. And the unnamed redeemer is not willing to bear the cost. So it passes to Boaz. He would bear the cost in order to redeem Ruth. And all through this story, you've seen the silent hand of God directing the action, haven't we? Uh, It might have seemed uncertain at the time. Ruth did not know who would be coming for her at the end of the day. Kept looking out the door, I suspect. See who's coming down the road? Boaz couldn't have been certain that his relative would back off so quickly and leave him as the redeemer. Of course, even as this drama is played out with all that uncertainty and Boaz and it comes to this conclusion and Boaz tries to conceal his excitement and his sense of victory, I suspect. you quietly going like this in the background. <laughs> We who read this are aware that the outcome of these negotiations was never in a doubt for a moment. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, "'You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi "'all that belonged to Elimelech "'and all that belonged to Kilian and Marlon. "'Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, "'I have brought to be my wife, "'to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance.' that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses of this this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. All the action may have been happening at a very human level, you know, risk, a strategy for negotiation, one man's decision for his own interests. And yet, as the elders at the gate realized, the Lord is in this. He is accomplishing his purpose just as he did in the past with Rachel and Leah amidst all the machinations that went on there. As he did with Judah and Tamar, and that pairing was far from straightforward either. Last time we met, we spoke about the messy bits of life, and in each of these cases, there were very messy bits, just as in the story of Boaz and Ruth. But the Lord was in this unfolding his plan. And so the story comes to its great climax. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Narshon, Narshon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Blessed be the Lord, the women proclaimed. God had provided Naomi with a redeemer. She'd lost everything at the beginning of the story, do you remember? She believed she'd returned to Bethlehem empty after her time away at Moab. But through the covenant faithfulness of her daughter-in-law and the kindness and shrewdness of Boaz, the Lord had provided Naomi with a redeemer, this little boy born in Bethlehem. And the wonderful joy that bubbles up through these verses is the joy of freedom and hope because she is redeemed. As one writer puts it, the family of the promise was preserved not by the heroic exploits of judges or military leaders. They were just part and parcel of the chaos, really, bringing temporary relief for the children of Israel. No, not by the heroic exploits of judges and military leaders, but by God's good hand using ordinary people. And all of this is just background. Wonderful, smile-inducing background, but still just background. Background. Because those very last verses push us forwards to something far greater, don't they? Boaz bore the cost of redeeming Ruth, something the unnamed redeemer was not willing to do. And in doing so, he accomplished freedom and hope for both Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. But it was a sign of something more. In David, the king, their great-grandson, yes. But in something far more powerful and far more glorious... ...through another boy born in Bethlehem. The Ruth and Boaz story is really only a miniature. The cost that was born was real, but not devastating. The freedom that was won for Ruth and Naomi was real too, but fleeting. As was all too tellingly played out in David's life, the real problem from which we need to be redeemed persisted. You might know that outside of this book... Ruth's name only appears one more time in the entire Bible, in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel. The descendant of Boaz and Ruth, who would act as a redeemer not just for one other, but for all who come to him in faith. And the redemption he accomplished brings glorious freedom, not just from the physical uncertainties faced back then by Ruth and her mother-in-law, but from everything that could stand against us. Because of what Jesus accomplished, there is no condemnation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing to fear and everything to look forward to. Redemption beyond anything we could ever have imagined. And we know how secure it is because of the astonishing cost of it. The precious blood of God. Of Christ. True redemption is costly but it brings real freedom. If Ruth and Boaz only knew what would be the long-term consequences of those negotiations at the town gate, but we know and it is quite simply the best news in the world, isn't it? Shall we pray? Father, we want to thank you that you have provided a redeemer. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who bore the cost so we might be set free. Will you help us to live as the redeemed, to rejoice in our redemption, to be those who proclaim his name to the ends of the earth? For we ask this for his glory.